Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of How to Scale Your Business. This is your host, Eric Corey. And today on the podcast, I have Tony Paquin, founder and CEO of iRemedy. How are you doing today, Tony? Hey, Eric. I'm doing great. Glad to be with you today. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, so, you know, can you give us the history and maybe the background of your business? Tell us about iRemedy. So iRemedy is a technology company. We have an artificial intelligence marketplace platform that we use to distribute medical supplies. So the medical supply industry is, you know, old. Most of my competitors are like 100-year-old companies, very complex, highly regulated. And uh, I partnered up with a guy who was former uh, VP of technology at Amazon and we invented this new sort of AI-driven marketplace. So tell us about the AI-driven marketplace. What does that mean? Can you go into some detail? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny is because everybody banters about the AI thing these days. But, you know, we started it about four or five years ago. And it's funny, you know, like you know, everybody talks about artificial intelligence. Like, what does that really mean? In our case, what it is, is we developed what we call digital agents, which are agents that are, you know, that take on human tasks and allow us to scale. So it's sort of like if I had a problem in the medical supply world and I could solve it by saying, hey, I'll put 100 people on that task. We'll just overwhelm it with people. If you could do that and it would solve the task, but the problem is you can't get 100 people. And if you got them, you couldn't afford them. And if you could afford them, you couldn't manage them, right? So it doesn't work. Well, in our case, we can teach an agent, a digital agent, to do the human's work, then have the human manage those agents and scale. So effectively, I could have like a 1,000 agents. And it's really that simple. And so the agents can learn. They learn what the human does. And then in our particular implementation, the human controls and manages them. We don't let them you know, run wild. But then we're able to put sort of brute force into managing the stupid complex world of the medical supply industry because it's really crazy how old-fashioned it is and how regulated it is. So what can, what can these agents do? Can you tell us a little bit about what, what they can do? Yeah, so they, they do things like Build catalog. So, you know, in the in the healthcare world, there's really millions of products. And you know, you so you've got to have first quality data, like you know, where are the product, you know, where's the product manufactured, how do you describe it, where are good images? And then really importantly, is that product available at this time? And can it be delivered to this particular client? Because an odd thing in healthcare is you could have a product available but not available to you. you know, or, or if I have a, a, a thousand doctors in my world, it might be available to some of those doctors, but not to others due to this sort of crazy allocation system that the industry works on. So what we're able to do is use digital agents to sort of check a product's price and availability on behalf of a specific client very complex thing to do. And that's just one example, but it's those types of activities. Gotcha. So are you not warehousing your inventory? Are you pulling that data from elsewhere? Yeah. So we do a little warehousing, but our goal is to not do that. 
Uh, we work with UPS Healthcare and we work with other very large suppliers, distributors, and we effectively uh, expose their product pricing and availability back to particular clients. We have warehouse space of our own. We use it for small volume or, you know, a little kidding or special projects, but generally we avoid inventory. Gotcha. And is that set up through like an API system? Yeah, well, see there you start to get into, um, you know, more of what our AI does. And that is a lot of the people that you would want to have APIs with application programming interfaces, you know, it just doesn't work. Like a little thing about APIs, you know, they everybody's got to cooperate. They have to be maintained. Some people have them. Some people don't. Some people have them, but they don't really work. You know, they have them, but not for the purpose that you want, stuff right. like that. So our AI, because it acts like humans, if you can interact with that other application or that website as a person without an API, well, then our software can do it. And that gives us sort of like a universal API without having to do a lot of programming. Interesting. That's, that's yeah. so cool. That's so the cool. unique <laughs> thing, right? So I can effectively integrate with any website or any application in the world by, you know, sort of impersonating a human, so to speak, and learning the, the site, much like a human. When you think about it, every website in the world has one thing in common, and that is to be readable to a human, right? That's what they're designed to do. So if you can get a digital agent to think like a human, it can learn that website just like a person could learn that website. You have a simplification, but basically is the idea. Cool. So I want to back it up a little bit. Uh, can, you, can you tell us how you got back or how you got started in the industry? Give us a little history and background. Yeah. So um, we are, my partners and I are, you know, longtime software people. We kind of grew up in the software industry. I've done uh, two companies prior to this. One was an insurance software deal that I literally started with my brother you know, it's kind of your classic start in the garage sort of thing, but we started in our bedroom and, uh, you know, built up to a thousand people and a couple hundred million in revenue. It was very successful. So that was classic sort of software company startup. And I went on to do a second one that was similar. It was a medical record software product. We started that again. You know, the next go around, a little more sophisticated, a little more capital to work with, but we grew that up to the point where we took it to the NASDAQ. And uh, so if you look at us, you know, we're, we're software guys. That's really what we, you know, we've been in the, in the industry. And then we ended up in healthcare and we saw this problem with the medical supply industry. We thought, oh, you know, this is an industry that could use some state-of-the-art, you know, technology to, to improve it. And that's why we attacked it the way we did. Gotcha. So can you walk us through the overall business strategy for iRemedy? Yeah. So first off, the idea is to provide a compelling solution to our clients who are hospitals, surgery centers, doctor's offices, and the government. And the compelling solution really is to help them track down availability of products and then get the best possible price on the product really with the goal of reducing their costs by 10 to 20%. 
you know, you, you may not realize it, maybe you do, but there's a real shortage problem that's ongoing. Like if you if you go Google drug shortages right now, you'd be amazed where, you know, there are cancer drugs that, you know, people desperately need and they're in, there's a shortage. You know, it's just a problem. It has to do with the globalization of the medical supply industry. Everything we use is made overseas. And so there's this constant availability problem. Doctors and hospitals and surgery centers and government agencies, they can't always get what they need. Well, that's the whole idea. See, our AI will go track it all down and find out. Because it is probably available somewhere, you know, in the world. And, right. and so our system will go find it. They'll just start looking for it. It won't stop until it finds it. That's, that's it. So we solve the availability problem. And then we cut costs by trying to create more direct relationships. So by letting the client buy directly from effectively the manufacturer, and, you know, the classic sort of cut out the middleman idea. Right. I'm really curious of the whole process of how the AI is to track down, how it tracks down the product. Are you doing like reverse image search of the product and matching it up on Google? You know, we do stuff like that. But the way to think of it is if I were to go to you and say, hey, Eric, uh, you know, we, we need this drug and uh, we can't find it. Go find it. Well, you just go to the Internet. You just start searching all over the place. You'd. You might image search, you might content search, you might go to some directories, you know, whatever. Well, that's what the agents do. Like they just go search. And, and ultimately, the unique thing about healthcare that's a little different than other industries is it's regulated. So that drug, you know, is approved by the FDA. The FDA will tell you who the manufacturer is. So, you know, there is a way to go find it. The data is out there. You just have to, you know, it keeps going back to if you had a couple people you could put on it, you tell them to work around the clock until they found it, hey, eventually they'd find it, right? Right. And, and that's the whole idea is that you just duplicate that behavior. But it's a different kind of industry. The challenge is it's global. The advantage is it's regulated and we can follow the trail of the regulations. Because, in you know, the difference is if you go by, you know, uh, that hat that you have at Amazon, well, you just know you're getting it from somebody on Amazon. But if you buy a drug, it's a different world. You know, you should be able to track the source of that drug all the way right. back to the guy who made it. Right? It's right. a different industry. Right. It's funny. I was messing around with uh, GPT-4 and like agent uh, GPT, and I was having it do tasks for me. Um and that, it kind of reminds me of what you're doing, but you're at the yeah. forefront of, of that that business, right? So that's so freshly new, like what the last six or eight months, uh, Agent yeah. GPT came out. So I think it's amazing that you were at the forefront of that. But I wanted to talk a little more about uh, like the drug shortages. How has that affect, affected your business? Well, see, I would put it like this. The, the old time distributors who dominate this industry, and I mean, literally, they go back to like the Civil War. If a product isn't available, a drug or a device, they just sort of avoid it. They're like, well, it's not available, so we can't help you, right? We, on the other hand, we want to know if you're looking for something that's not available. Like, we're, we want to go solve that problem. So it's a real benefit for us. I'll give you the, the biggest example was during COVID, uh, we got a call from the government. The government is saying, hey, we're going to do this vaccine, Operation Warp Speed. And mm -hmm. we need needles and syringes to administer the vaccine. 
and everybody's like, oh God, yeah, we didn't think of that. Everybody's focused on gloves and masks and gowns and you know, nobody thought about the needles. And they need a billion of them, which is like unreal. Well, our technology was able to go track that down in a way that nobody else could. So we ended up, a bunch of companies got that order from the government. Every other company failed and all those orders ended up rolling over to us. We solved the entire problem because we had that unique ability to sort of track down, be a sleuth, if you will, to track your way back right. to the actual factory that makes the needle. Yeah, that, that actually rolls into my next question. I was going to ask you how your COVID experience was. I'm sure it was insane. It was insane. And so, yeah. So on the one hand, our, our regular healthcare business shut down. And by that, I mean, you know, surgery centers weren't doing any surgery, you know, routine healthcare stopped. Right, right. And then, then you had everybody and their brother was selling like gloves and masks. You know, there's oh, a guy who's a toy manufacturer and suddenly he's making gloves. You know, that kind of thing was happening. So it was just really, really, really crazy. And we, you know, we, but we had the connections. We were already in the business. So we were selling a lot of that product. And then we got caught up in Operation Warp Speed. And we are really one of the largest vendors of that whole government project. And we worked, and I'm not exaggerating, but we literally worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week for about a year and a half. And uh, we, to give you an idea, we chartered, I think in the end, it was 145 747s. We flew two a day for about a year. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Like it was, you know, I mean, insane is the word. Yeah. And, but you know, we survived and it, and we're glad it's over. It's funny how it sort of fades into your memory. Like you, you know, you guys sit, you know, cause it, as you know, like we all lived through it. It was a great, however you fall on the political spectrum or the vaccine spectrum, you know, it was a crazy time, you know, all yeah. the shutdowns and it was just a bizarre time, but we never shut down. You know, we, we had to keep working through all the lockdowns. We traveled during that time. We were in and out of New York. We were on airplanes. We always carried carry with us, you know, special acknowledgement that we were in the business. And, you know, I talked to the U S government every day, seven days a week for a year. Wow. So it was bizarre. It was just I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall listening to those conversations. It was, yeah. What happens when the government gets involved in massive emergency procurement, they hand it over to the Department of Defense because the DOD is like really good at buying stuff. At big <laughs> okay. I mean, really. So suddenly you're dealing with these, you know, generals and colonels, and you know, they're very serious people, let's just say. They're professionals and they're very good at what they do, but they were intense. There's no question about it. But it was it was all in all a good experience. I will have to plug that we wrote a book about it and just coincidental to this conversation. It comes out in about a week. We've been working on it for a year. But we we use the experience of OWS to highlight uh the risk to the country. Uh, that's a result of the globalization of the medical supply chain. Because it's it's interesting when you consider that 90% of all drugs, devices, and supplies that you use every day 
they come from China. And, you know, that's uh, a questionable, you know, idea. Like, it's probably not a good idea is the way it works. And it didn't work, you know, during COVID. Right. Part, you know. Which is a whole, you know, another can of worms that we could talk about, you know, with the pandemic starting in China and then all the supplies coming from China, you know, we don't have to go there, but very interesting thing that well, we I could gotta, discuss. <laughs> let me just give you one interesting anecdote there that you could judge the way you want. And I'm not, you know, reading anything between the lines, but I will tell you. So we run a online B2C site at iremedysupply.com. So we sell to everybody, but we also sell to consumers, right? And we were in a board meeting in around January of 2020 up in New York, and I get a call from my CFO, and she says, you know, kind of an odd thing. We're getting slammed with orders for masks and gloves, which in our world was unusual. Like, you know, we mm -hmm. routinely sold those things, but not like it wasn't like a run on them, you know. And I go, and we have fraud protection software like most e-commerce companies do. Right. So I said, oh, well, you know, I mean, is it passing the fraud software? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, what? fine, like, let them roll, you know, sell away, right? And she said, yeah. She says, the only thing I got to tell you that's odd is the, the people buying them all have Chinese names. Now, I am talking thousands, right? And the reason, first off, it's unusual, right? And secondly, the reason you look at things like that is because in the fraud world, you worry about what happens is people will buy stuff, they'll ship it overseas, and then there'll be a chargeback on a credit card. That's sort of right. the thing that you're watching out for. And you, yep. have, you have fraud software to protect you on that, right? So, yeah, she's just, her job as CFO is to say, hey, you know, it's just kind of an unusual situation. And I go, God, that's weird. You know, because at that point, we had no, we, we weren't aware of like Wuhan or you know, right. any of that. And uh, yeah, man, those orders flowed. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands. And eventually we sold out. And then our suppliers sold out. Then our distributors sold out, you know, going into like February. And then we're like, oh, yeah, something's up. That's yeah. when we ended up figuring out that, you know, something weird was happening. Yeah, it's, it's funny that, that you was, mentioned that. Was yeah, it's, it's funny. That, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because as COVID was happening, I had a couple of buddies that, have been doing e-commerce for a long time and completely shut down their businesses to just focus on any healthcare product they could get their hands on. I had a, a yeah. buddy that was scaling hand sanitizer, just buying it in shipments from China. Another buddy that was buying bulk shipments of masks from China and they both did extremely well. So it's just absolutely insane time, especially for e-commerce. It was insane. So it was, it was just such a bizarre you know, the whole two year experience for America for the and the other thing is weird. I mean, it's the whole world, you know, so we were trying to ship these, you know, we were chartering these jets. And, you know, everybody, I mean, from the in China, they, you know, they had COVID, their trucks weren't running, the airports were shut down, the charter flights weren't flying, the cargo flights weren't flying. I mean, it's the I mean, look, I, I'm an older guy. I've been around for, you know, number of decades in our history we've never seen nobody's ever seen anything like this this was really unusual i mean i this was i in the history of the world you've never really shut down an entire planet before <laughs> so it was bizarre but yeah we got through it we learned a lot it was very intense yeah i i was also thinking too you brought it up a little bit earlier that 
uh, you had a toy or you knew a company that was a toy maker and they switched to glove making. It reminded me of like World War II where like Ford switched to making tanks and, and stuff like that. It's just so crazy. It wasn't, you know, obviously this wasn't a war per se where people were fighting, but, you know, it was a war in a different way. Right. So it's super interesting. Well, they actually there's a thing called the Defense Production Act where the government can force what you just described. And they actually did that in COVID. They had like Ford or GM make ventilators because remember, there's OK. A oh, yeah, I do remember ventilators. that. Yeah. So it actually and it was a war, arguably there. You could you could, you know, do a lot of interpretations on what all this meant. But it, you know, it was it was a battle. It was a war. We had global implications that, you know, there, you could read in between the lines if you want. But at the end of the day, it was a threat to the country. And, of course. Uh, you know, it was it was a very, very challenging time. So um, we'll see if we learn lessons from it. And that's what you're saying. We're very involved with this. Um, again, this book I wrote, it's called The End of Us. But it's it it talks about the globalization of supply as a national security issue and then a movement by the government to re-domesticate the manufacturing base. And, uh, you know, it's a fascinating subject. You're going to see a lot of changes in the next 10 years as everybody kind of comes to grips with what, you know, you can't you can't change something like this overnight. Uh, uh, These manufacturers in China and Malaysia and in Vietnam and so forth, you know, these are very big, very sophisticated, high-tech businesses. And, you know, you can't, you can build them here in the United States, but it's not, it's not cheap and it's not fast. And take a lot of investment. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with that, or you, know, you mentioned that you ha- also have a B2C uh, part of the business. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we, you know, we do a lot of B2C business, and, and we host that at iremedysupply.com. And it's really interesting. Um, you know, we do DME, you know, durable medical equipment, home medical equipment, you know, routine supplies, because... Today, you've got, look, you know, people have their their aging parents at home that they're taking care of, or you've got nurses working out of their home. And, you know, there's a people, we sell a lot to schools. We, we sell okay. a lot to employers. I mean, you know, when you think about it, everybody touches healthcare somehow, and they have some need for these products. And so we don't we don't want to miss that broad market. We also find... What's really interesting is in our B2C market, about 20% of the people who go online and buy in our B2C area are actually healthcare professionals. So we end up identifying, you know, bigger clients through this sort of retail outlet. That's a big part of the reason why we do it. How do you, how do you, how do you drive traffic to that? You know, what are you doing there? Yeah, it's uh, we're a big Google advertiser. We do a fair Google amount ads. of social media, but we, you know, we run feeds into Google and and uh, you know Google and Bing, but you know Google, Bing, Facebook, but really mainly Google. We just drive a lot of traffic from ads. I think we're one of the largest health products advertisers, uh, you know, on the internet because our regular competitors. McKesson and Cardinal, these B2B companies, they don't advertise at all. 
Oh, they're really? Just, they're just B2B. So they don't, okay. you know, they don't really go after the B2C world. And so we're, we're certainly one of the dominant B2C advertisers on the net, I think, as far as we can tell. Gotcha. And how are you staying up to date in the industry? Well, you know, remember, we're a tech company first. Right. And, and I've got a great chief technology officer, super cool guy, Jim Harding. He was vice president of technology at Amazon. He was one of the early Microsoft guys. I'm an old software guy. You know, I was a programmer. I've managed a couple of big, you know, teams of, of companies of programmers. And when when you do that, what you learn is it's, you know, it's just never ending. Like you you must stay current with the technology. I don't care if you're 20 or you're 60, you got to keep learning. And I was on the phone today with a doctor who's a, he's a radiologist. And, you know, the, he's he's talking about how's AI going to impact him. And by the way, it's going to have a huge impact on pe- things like radiology, guys who read x-rays. Okay. And, and I was telling him, I said, you know, it's just another tool. And again, I, I don't care if you're 25 years old or you're 65 years old, you need to learn the tools and stay current. That's what you have to do. That's the nature of the software business. You got to invest that time and energy into whatever's happening now. And that, so that's what we do. I put a, a good amount of my time. I stay right in, you know, the tech world. And then in the, in the medical side, we try and be thought leaders. I mean, I work with the government. We have the book. I have a podcast called The Supply Side. Yeah, we constantly do like you do. We're talking to people and interviewing people in other industries uh, in healthcare. So, you know, we try and stay current with what's going on in the medical world as well. And, you know, my take on all that is people are pretty worried and depressed. I mean, we got war and famine and, you know, all kinds of terrible things happening. But I believe it's a time to be optimistic. I, for example, I think AI is going to have an amazingly positive impact on healthcare. For example, so I, it's a good time to be optimistic. But you you got to approach these changes with an eye towards how can they work for me. You know, right. You know, if you're fearful and you shut down, yeah, you could get screwed on that. You, know, you have to embrace it. Right. Right. You know, since you are a leader, especially in the forefront of AI in the healthcare space, where do you see it going in the next, let's say, three to five years? Yeah, I, I, I like I was saying, yeah, I'm very optimistic. I, I think there's tremendous things that are going to happen. Like, for example, diagnostics um, are going to, you know, greatly improve. You know, the, the the ability to take symptoms from somebody and test results. And diagnose, and you know, in healthcare, early diagnosis is everything. I mean, really, when you know, if you're talking cancer and heart disease and diabetes, the sooner you diagnose that problem, your chance of getting a positive outcome is way better, right? So, if you can lower your costs of diagnosis and speed diagnosis, you're going to transform things. Uh, drug development is going to improve. They're using AI to improve the way that you know, drug development, man, that's that's tough. You know, you, it costs you hundreds of millions of dollars to develop a drug and get it through the FDA, and then it might not work, right? Yep. So it's really a tough industry. So AI is going to help that in a, in a very, very big way. I think the end result, you're going to, and then you would take a look at what we're doing. I think in the end, you know, like in our case, we'll probably drive down the cost of medical supplies by 20%. 
what that really means is healthcare will be more affordable. When healthcare is more affordable, it's more accessible. And the sooner you can just generally treat people, you know, the better results you're going to, you know, the better impact you're going to have, right? Right. And, and so I, you know, I think you're going to see diseases cured and lifespan expanding and, you know, overall healthcare is going to be a, a much better place to you know, contend with. It, it, because historically, you would look at it and go, geez, man, what a backward industry. I mean, they were using paper files up till about five years ago. It's just terrible, right? So they were very slow to adopt. The thing that I was telling this doctor today, this is different. This AI movement, it's going to be very fast. That's different because usually tech takes way longer than it should and regulations, especially in these industries like healthcare or aerospace or national defense. But in this case, it's going to move fast, which is cool. I mean, you're now you're talking a couple of years. I you know you get Chat GPT like you say it's been six months and yeah, it's, it's amazing, and we're just getting started. Yeah, give that give that two years, see what you get. It'll be pretty. Yeah, it's fun. it's crazy how uh, exponential uh, the time is being cut down on like mass adoptions of products, right? So like we had the internet, which was you know early to late. 1990s early 2000s into like where we are today with ai and you know it's on the news within the first couple months of it being out and like pretty much mass adoption at this point like you said it like six six to eight months so like i just can't imagine where we go next from here (laughs) yeah it's like chat gpt in no time they had 100 million users i go that's just unreal and and so you give that a year or two I just think the impact would be phenomenal. And, I, yeah. and, and help, when you think of healthcare, healthcare really, kind of like law, it's really just a big old information processing industry. That's really what it really, when you think about it, you got people who are very complex. You know, the human system is a very, very, very complicated. And, and you got, you know, they have symptoms and they got diseases and they got drugs and they got, you know, products, they get different outcomes and they're different ethnic backgrounds and different DNA. I mean, it's a very complicated story. So if you can power up and process that data way faster, yeah, you're, you're going to get great outcomes. And that's that's what it's all about. I, I think it's going to be amazing. The other thing that I would say is the, the, the next, the generation coming along are, is a generation of, of adopters like they're early adopters, right? So they're not going to resist. They're going to go, this is stupid. I'm going to go chat GPT and figure this out. Like they're not going to, you know, drag right. their feet on some ridiculous bureaucratic problem. That's they won't. Right. Do no. Right. Yeah. They're really the first generation where, you know, they're adults now, but they don't know life without the internet. Right. So like my That's generation right. was, was the last of, okay, there was life without, you know, cell phones where it was easily accessible but now kids get cell phones when they're seven eight years old and they've that's been right. playing on ipads since birth so they, that, they don't they, know that's right that's right they were born into it that's it. Right. exactly right that's the only thing they know and that's why the adoption rate on these new techs is so high well I, and that's a big part of it i you're not going to get the resistance to change that you got in other industries 
It's it's right. amazing. I'm telling you, the next two to five years, I was with a guy from Google last night, pretty senior executive. We're just at dinner with a bunch of people and chatting away. And and he and I were discussing with the group, who are all older people, and we were both saying, hey, we've lived through a lot in the last 30 years. That's nothing like what we're about to see in the next five. Like that's it's that significant of a difference. Yeah. So, pretty interesting times. Definitely interesting. Tony, so the last question I have for you today is what advice would you give to someone that's trying to succeed in your industry? Well, I think that if you're trying to succeed in any industry, you know, the, you know, for me, the first quality is persistence. I, I think you got to be passionately committed to what you're doing. Right. I think that you, you, if you're in business and doing some sort of product, you got to get a compelling offer. You got to have a compelling offer. If you don't, don't burn away time, you know, trying to build something that's not really compelling. And then the third is that, you know, really be open to learning. I, I, you know, I've got three adult kids, all really successful, great people, but I'm constantly talking to them about mentorship, find people to learn from, you know, it, it because people have lived through what you're about to live through, take advantage of that experience. I'm a huge believer in that. I still do that today. Right. So, you know, those are those things like commitment and perseverance. That's the number one thing. When you, you get to know people who win big, you're going to find out they were in the never give up team. You know, that's what they are. And then beyond that, it's about lifelong learning. Really the deal. Perfect. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Tony, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you um, if Absolutely. they wanted to post post the podcast? Absolutely, Eric. I appreciate that. So again, I have a podcast on YouTube called The Supply Side. It's always a great way to keep track of what we're doing. Uh, my you know, company is iremedy.com, and my email is simple. It's Tony at iremedy.com. Uh, also, you know, I mentioned I'm trying to overplug, but I do have this book coming out. We're super excited about it. I hope people check it out and give us some feedback on that as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to get it when it comes out, just to yes. let you know. So I'm excited. Good. Yeah, I'll read it. Excellent. I appreciate that. All right, we'll Tony. You. Thank we'll you so you. much. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Have a great day. Yep. You too. All right. Take care.